0: Welcome to the Remote Work Drive Podcast with your host, Jessica Malnick. Stay tuned to learn how to manage remote teams that are effective, collaborative, and happy. Hey, I'm Laura Roeder. I'm the founder of Paperbell. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the Remote Work Drive Podcast, Laura. Um, Before we even start to dive in, what is the most exciting thing you're up to these days?
1: The most exciting thing I'm up to is definitely just working on growing my company, Bell. So Bell is a SaaS tool for coaches, like life coaches, business coaches to kind of run the back office of their business. And we're growing really quickly right now. I'm kind of head up the marketing side of the business. So that's where I get to spend my time like tinkering and exploring.
0: Love it. And how did you come up with the idea for Paperbell? So, I have
1: done a little bit of business coaching slash consulting on the side. And especially after I was out of the day to day of my last company, Meet Edgar, I decided to do some coaching. So, I'm like, okay, so I'll just buy a tool that lets people, you know, like buy a package and book their sessions. And then I'm like, wait, what? Where's the. Like, I just assumed what I imagined would exist already. You know, I'm like, you know, you like buy four sessions, you schedule them, you know, maybe there's an intake form, a contract, something like that. Um, I was genuinely surprised that the tool that I was looking for did not exist. And so I, I had been familiar with the coaching market you know, through my last company, meet Edgar. We had a lot of different sorts of coaches, consultants, freelancers, solopreneurs. So I kind of knew the coaching world, and I thought it, it would be a big opportunity to build a tool that could really
0: serve that world.
1: So that's why I launched Paperbell.
0: I love it. So a little bit of kind of just insider knowledge, and also scratching your own itch of that actually was something that you needed as well. Yes, absolutely. I know this is obviously not your first company. Can you maybe talk a little bit about how your like mindset around building and running and growing startups has evolved over the years? Yeah. So I've been
1: doing this for, oh my God, I have to figure out the actual, I mean, almost 20 years. I have to figure out the actual number of years for when I record a podcast, but nearly 20 years I've been running my own businesses, always online, uh, always remote, you know, always with some form of team, actually, even when I first started out. I had contractors, virtual assistants, people helping me here and there, always just a little bit. So, oh my God, it's like, <laughs> I feel like I've tried kind of everything under the sun as far as remote teams go. The big theme as far as what I've done differently with Edgar versus Paperbell, Edgar was all about the W2 employee. So our team was almost all full-time employees, even though we worked remotely remotely. We worked live remotely, so we had normal office hours. We had a lot of live meetings. We had, you know, times when everyone was expected to be working online during the U.S. workday. We were all in the U.S., so we could be in the same time zones. Now with Paperbell, I am not doing any of that. (laughs) Um, We're all a sync. People are all over the world. Uh, Everyone is a part-time freelancer. So yeah, I've explored lots of different ways of of working remotely.
0: Awesome. I want to dissect a little bit more about both sides of things. What were some of the advantages to have everyone live and full time in in a remote environment? So I think obviously it's it's much easier to
1: do more collaborative work, more brainstormy work, more okay, let's throw around a bunch of ideas because we had a lot of those live conversations. Um, Also, you know, everyone was full time. Some people did have other side projects or whatever, but a lot of people didn't. And I think the advantage to that is you are, you know, you get the majority of their brain space, right? If they're on your marketing team and they're brainstorming about marketing ideas, they're for your company and not like other clients or other projects. That they have. So I think those are some of the biggest advantages to doing it that way.
0: And obviously, I'm guessing there's obviously some disadvantages for how you've kind of evolved in time. What were some of the main disadvantages to having that kind of full time remote employees? Well, I am more
1: and more coming to the conclusion that I think a lot of people are that running remote as though it's in person, the way a lot of companies do with a lot of the same work structure really doesn't make a lot of sense so a way that almost everyone has experienced this is like the awkward zoom hangout (laughs) you know where if you're working together in person obviously a lot of social ties are formed because people make coffee and chit chat and have to have lunch every day right and you form a lot of these like deeper social relationships and then you often hear this idea oh if you want to be able to work together well you have to have that social side too so you can really know them as a person. And so what a lot of remote companies do and what we did at Meet Edgar is we really tried to further that social side of the business where we had like both, you know, live Zoom calls that were more personal, more chatty. We had a lot of activity in our Slack channels of like, you know, sharing photos from your life or sharing what you did that weekend or like getting to know people on a personal level as well. I'm now coming to the idea that maybe one of the benefits of working online is that we can just work really efficiently, and then we can have our social lives um, in reality, which is a much healthier <laughs> way to have a social life. Is like actually seeing a friend at lunchtime in the real world, rather than having like a Zoom lunch with your your online coworkers.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And shifting gears, although it's on the same topic, shifting kind of gears a little bit. What does the general team dynamics and team structure look like um now at Paper Bell? Um, in what way? I mean, like in general, because you know it is more kind of freelancers, contractor model, like what does your general kind of like team structure look like? What is the, the kind of the team look like, you know, what does that kind of resemble?
1: As far as like the org chart, you mean that kind of thing? Uh, yes. So we have a really tiny team um, at Bell. We actually, for three years, we only had one developer um, who's my husband and co-founder, Chris. He built the entire tool himself for three years. We've now brought on another developer, full stack developer. <clears throat> Excuse me. Another full stack developer who works on the app. Uh, we have two freelance part-time customer service people that answer all the emails. We have a kind of marketing coordinator that corrals all of our content marketing and all of our freelancers. Um, and that's that's
0: the whole team. Yeah, I love it. Super efficient, super. Um, given that you are across so many different time zones, what are some mm. of the ways, and it is, I'm guessing, pretty async first, what are some of the ways that you make sure that everyone is on the same page page, and kind of mowing, mowing in the same direction, so to speak?
1: Yeah, so we are 100% async. Um, we are always open to having live phone calls if needed. We just haven't found that we've needed them. I think I've had one live call with um, the person who does our, our marketing coordination and she is in Asia, I'm in the UK, which actually we do have a, a good, like her kind of, late afternoon evening my morning we do have a, some time where we find we're both online um but we are 100% async we also don't have any regular uh async meetings so you know some companies even if they're async might still have kind of like asynchronous sort of like long form text meetings i know basecamp some, does some of that kind of stuff so one of the main things we do to stay in sync is just a uh, update every week of what happened the week before. So I write that, I publish it every Monday morning my time. Um, So by the time our other team members are getting online, it's, it's already done. And it's simply a summary of what happened the week before to keep people posted about everything that's happening across the company. The other thing we do to make sure that every everyone knows what's going on, everyone is focused on priority, is just to be really organized about our task management. So we use ClickUp for everything that's not Dev. Dev uses Pivotal Tracker. And I mean, it sounds really simple, but if you actually keep 100% of your tasks in a task manager, with you know clear assignees, clear deadlines, clearly organized, it's actually really easy <laughs> to keep track of everything going on at the company because it's it's all right there.
0: You mentioned something interesting, which was kind of doing like a weekly update email. Can you maybe talk a little bit more about that? Like, what do you include in it? What does it maybe look like? And what's been the response to everyone else? Yeah, so I do it as a Slack update.
1: Um, on Monday morning, and I mean, it's it's literally just bullet points of what have happened. So um, now that there's a little more action in the company, it does often get divided into uh, like product customer service marketing. Um, when there was less actions, it was just like all one list and it's just kind of highlights of like, okay, we shipped this feature, we're working on this feature. I mean, the one I did one this morning and it was like we set up the Help Scout integration with Instagram. So we get our Instagram messages and Help Scout now. Just like kind of boring details of what's happening uh in the business. And then sometimes I will, sometimes I won't also include a little quote from a customer at the bottom. So we have fed into our Slack. Uh, the comments people leave on Help Scout tickets. So often people will leave a really like, nice comment that's like, oh, this was so great and I love you and I love Paperbell. So I'll often pull one or a few of those at the bottom just as a little like feel-good feel, feel good thing for everyone to read.
0: Yeah, that's a great touch and always a good way to have, you know, making sure that everyone is seeing kind of the sentiment of customers.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I, obviously, being an a first company, not everyone... Probably can or really adapt to that style of communication, even though.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, what are some of the things that you look for to make sure that anyone that you are bringing into the company actually is going to be okay and able to thrive in a self motivated, asynchronous kind of fashion?
1: Yeah. So, one of the big things I let people know is the way I say it is like we have no culture, which is not actually true because our what I call no culture is a company culture. But I explained to them what I mean by no culture is like, there is no chit chat in our Slack, which I think, you know, is definitely not the norm and would feel weird to a lot of people. So it's like, there is nowhere to post your dog. There's nowhere to post about what you did over the weekend. Like sometimes somebody might reference something like, oh, I'm going to be off the rest of the day because my kid's sick. And we're like, oh, I feel better. You know, you know, we're like friendly to each other but we don't do any dedicated social stuff. Like we we just work, Um, which is kind of funny when you say it out loud that this is like this radical idea, like let's just work at work. But for a lot of people, they're like, oh my God, thank you. Hallelujah. That sounds amazing. Obviously for a lot of people, they're like, you guys are so weird. What a nightmare. So they definitely have to be the type of person that's like, yes, that actively sounds good, which I find a, a lot of people do actively think it sounds good. The other thing we do is we only bring people on that have a lot of experience doing doing their thing already. So, you know, I kind of outline the general structure of the team. The team is really small. So that means like we don't have any interns, we don't have any junior people. We only have a few people that are true experienced experts at what they're doing. So that also just cuts down on a lot of the kind of like extraneous Communication. So our customer service people have done, you know, customer service at like similar SaaS companies for many, many years. So obviously there's training, and obviously there's learning curve and questions and stuff. But we hire people who are able to jump in and are like, okay, I've I've done this before.
0: Yeah, that is such a good point and something, that I think a lot of people miss. Do you think that an async first culture could work if you were if you were a leader trying to like? hire more junior folks and even interns? Or do you think you really need to have at least some amount of live meeting times to make that happen? That's a really interesting question. I mean, I think there's a
1: world if you had enough documentation, you could make it work. But I honestly almost feel like it would be a little unfair <laughs> to the intern. Like truly, I feel like the intern would probably have a better experience and learn more more at a place where they were able to have more live like meandering conversations because that's just kind of how you learn. And I do agree, you know, sometimes I see people say, "Okay, if you're in your first job, like don't join a remote company, join a IRL company. And I have to say, I kind of agree with that because I do think if you're in your first few years of working, Uh, There's just so much you can learn by osmosis being in an office that you might not be able to discover in a remote company, especially like our company is very transparent, very well organized, like all files and resources and everything are available to everyone. We feed a lot of customer data and other types of data into Slack, but a lot of remote companies are not that way. There's a lot of remote companies where it's like, if you're doing customer service, you kind of see your inbox and you don't really have a chance to see other stuff that's going on at the company. And I think that would really limit your learning curve in your career.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So to just kind of clarify and also follow up a little bit, do you think it's, if a company is super well-organized and has a documentation-first culture, do you think they can make it work when it comes to bringing in a new grad and maybe on an intern, a new grad or someone who's, you know, maybe only has one or two years of experience in that role and make it fair for them and set them up for success? Or is it really more about, hey, it might might be better for that person that, you know, work in uh, maybe hire someone a little bit more experienced? I mean, I think a company could make it work if they
1: were organized enough. And also, of course, really depends on the role. If the role is something where it's like you can just give very clear instruction and they can kind of follow that instruction you're going to have an easier time. So basically my answer is like a little bit of both sides. As a company, I think you can make it work. As the employee, I think you should probably do maybe do something else.
0: Yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense. Um, And you had definitely mentioned this kind of earlier on in our conversation where you were talking about kind of using ClickUp for, and Slack for mm-hmm. most of your documentation. What are some of the things that you think pretty much any Remote first leader, particularly a founder, um, should have documented before they even bring out you know when before they bring on more than let's say two or three employees or contractors.
1: I mean, I honestly think they should have tons of stuff documented. I feel like I'm not supposed to say that because that's like the overwhelming answer, you know. And it'd be much easier to hear like it's easy. You just need these three things. Um, but I am pretty relentless with documentation because you don't realize as a founder, there's just an enormous amount of things that you're holding in your own head. I actually, I came across one earlier today. It's like an opt-in, you know, an opt-in that we have on our blog and we needed to duplicate the thank you page. And actually I did have documentation about where the thank you page was, but I had it as a Google doc where we, we keep all that stuff and click up. So it's like, Honestly, I did still have it somewhere, but it wasn't in the right place. But like all those little details, like okay, what is this opt-in? What what are we? Why why does this exist? Like which pages is it linked on? Is the um, automation and active campaign and like what's the URL of the automation? What's the thank you page? Is this a goal that we have set up in Google Analytics? All of those details. I know it sounds really tedious, but those are some of the most important things to document because that's where you you set up all this stuff as a founder, you hold it all in your head, and then you bring in other people and they're making all these guesses and assumptions and you're like, wait, no, don't make a new thank you page from scratch. Like we already have a thank you page, but they have no idea how to know that it exists or how to find it. So even though that's a perhaps a bit over, overwhelming answer, I actually do think it's quite important if you're gonna be you know, async like really documentation driven company. You really need to go through everything your company does, and it doesn't have to be beautiful, but it it kind of needs to be written down somewhere. All of that, those machines that run your company.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So when it comes to documentation, obviously it is time consuming, but super important. Do you typically? I feel like there's like some different schools of thoughts around how to go about this. Whether it's just kind of writing the SOPs yourself and giving mm-hmm. to other people, recording a loom, or getting onto a Zoom, um, and, you know, doing a screen share and having somebody else write up that, having the person who's learning it, write it up. What type of school of thought do you use for when it comes to documentation? So I tend to be more
1: about facts rather than how-tos. So actually, the, what I just brought up is kind of a good example. So it's like, okay, you have like this opt-in that exists at the company. For me, it's like I don't, it's not so much about having a how to about how to like create an opt in. It's more like where, what are all the moving pieces of what already exists? Because like that's what you can't Google. You know what I mean? Like I can Google how does a lead magnet work? How does an opt in work? And I can understand the moving pieces. I cannot Google like what is the URL of our thank you page for our opt in. You know, that's that's not something I can Google. So I think our documentation tends to focus much less on like what people might call SOPs and much more kind of fact sheets. Like something I use a lot is um, just a simple little table. Like right now we're running a Black Friday promo. So we have a document that's like, okay, here's the coupon codes in Stripe. Like here's the URL of the landing pages. Like here's the date when it opens. Here's the date when it closes. Just in a little kind of quick fact table, you know, here's the link to the um, Google docs that have like the promotional emails in them. Uh, And then for something that's more of a process, we want those as uh, ClickUp checklists. So then it's something that you can actually use as opposed to like, and the nice thing about ClickUp is you can save it as a task template. So you're like applying the checklist to the task as opposed to SOPs where it's like open up the separate document in a separate place. The checklist lives right there within the task, which I find makes it actually used much more frequently than ones that live externally.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And such a good distinction between fact sheets and SOPs. What has been some of the, what's been like maybe your biggest mindset shift or mindset shifts when it comes from managing a remote live team to now managing a remote async first team? So the
1: probably the biggest mindset shift that I've had is that it's really much more now of a, Uh, kind of sports team, very work-based paradigm, as opposed to a, like, at Edgar, we definitely never said, we're a family, because I'm like, I don't fire my family, (laughs) but I can fire someone from the team, also they can quit, like, my kids can't quit being my kids, Um, so it's not like we were like, we're a family before, but it was more of that type of paradigm where it's like, okay, we, you join the company and, you know, maybe we like move people around in different roles to try to make it work. What I did a lot of before, which I do not do now is like crafting work around people, which I think can be a really big mistake. I think sometimes you find someone talented and you bring them in the company and then you look for stuff for them to do as opposed to really making sure everyone's time is focused on the biggest priorities of the business And that's what I love about working with freelancers. And this is definitely a big like mindset shift I've made. I used to hire people in-house, which now that I look back, I'm like, that was a one-time project. You know, we should have just brought on someone for a few months to get that project done. And then it would be done. I think that happens a lot of companies. You bring someone on, you realize actually after a few months, oh, they kind of like, did they set up that system? The system's rocking now. We don't need a full-time person in that role anymore, but like they're great, they're talented, you love them, whatever. So you keep them around and you try to look for other stuff for them to do. If they're a freelancer, it's much easier to be like, oh, that project's done. So you know, we have another project. Like I'm going through this right now. There's a, a VA that we've worked with for a few years who does a lot of um, she does like graphics and placing her blog posts and things like that. Uh, she's been amazing to work with. But now we're moving. The marketing coordinator is kind of like bringing in her own people under her. We're just kind of shifting around how it works. So we're not working with the freelancer anymore that we've worked with for a few years. Like nothing about her, you know. I've like done a few emails helping her find her next clients. But it's not this like big drama because we work with her as a freelancer hourly basis. It's not devastating to her to lose a client. Like she'll be able to find a new client. And when it doesn't make sense for us to work with her anymore. Even though we have no complaints about her work, we can move on.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That makes a ton of sense. Shifting gears a bit, because I know we are getting kind of closer to our time, I do want to kind of ask a couple of lightning round questions. Hmm? If you could trade lives with a historical figure for one day, <laughs> who would it be and why?
1: Um, You're asking the wrong person. I am not a big like history person. I really like my own life, so I'm sorry. I have no I have no answer
0: for that one. No, no. I don't know anyone I would trade with. No, wor- no worries. Uh any celebrity either like current, past? Oh, no,
1: cuz then I would a celeb, then I'd be famous. That would be a nightmare. Definitely not.
0: Fair points. <laughs> um that is a good answer. What's an unconventional skill that you have that you're very proud of? That you're secretly very proud of? The
1: unconventional skill I have. Oh, my God. Uh, Well, a skill that I got very good at recently was uh, traveling with young children. So I traveled full time uh, with my family for six months. My kids were four and eight. So not, you know, little babies, but on the younger side. And, you know, our family was together together. 24-7, you know, no nannies, just to be clear, no no, nothing. It was a lot of family time. um, And it took us a little while to find our rhythm. But my kids are champs at so many things now. Like they can go to a coffee shop all afternoon. They can go to a restaurant that is really slow. They've got their coloring. They've got their books. They can entertain themselves. They're all good. So I would say I am now a champion at traveling with kids.
0: That is definitely a scale. What was the most surprising thing that you've learned throughout that? I mean, I think
1: one big takeaway for me was that anything I think you want, or any like big goals or dreams you have, once you're there, don't feel like that big of a deal. And I think a lot of us have experienced this in almost kind of a negative way where it's like maybe you have some financial goal that you, you know, have really built up in your head. And then once you get there, you kind of don't care about it anymore. <laughs> it doesn't seem like a big deal, which I think is just human nature and that's fine. But I think a way to look at it up positively is if if what you want seems like no big deal once you get there, then you should do what you want. You know, it only seems scary. It only seems new. It only seems insurmountable before you do it. But once you do it, it'll seem mundane kind of in a good way. It's like, oh, this wasn't this wasn't such a big deal. This wasn't so scary. You know, for us, like traveling with the kids taking them out of school was a big dream we had for a long time, and the logistics of it seemed scary. The school things seemed scary. But once we did it, it was just our everyday life. But it, you know, we loved it. and i'm and I'm so glad that we actually made it happen.
0: That's awesome. And now I'm just curious, what was the what was your favorite place that you visited in that six month period? Probably Korea. I had never been to Korea before, and
1: I didn't know very much about it. Um, And our whole family is huge K-pop fans now. Like we just fell in love with so much of Korean culture, and I think about going back all the time.
0: That's awesome. Shifting gears, if you were tasked with teaching a one hour lecture on a subject of your choice, but it can't be about entrepreneurship or marketing, what would you lecture oh, yeah. on? Oh, no. Those are my only skills
1: in life. It really backed me in a corner. Um, um, yeah. So I only read business books for, for a hobby. The other thing I, you know what I'd have to lecture on, I would have to lecture on memoirs because that's the other thing that i read for fun i read a lot of business books and i read a lot of um personal memoir not like celebrities not like autobiographies just memoirs i don't really know how you lecture on that because i don't know how to write them or anything but i could give like a a best of lecture i
0: guess if that was allowed that could definitely be a lecture um it's been really great chatting with you Laura where can listeners find you online yeah. So if
1: you're a coach or consultant, definitely check out Paperbell. It makes running your online business so easy. It's paperbell.com. Um, buy Paperbell on Instagram. Also, if you want to, if you are a coach or consultant and you're wondering how much all the other coaches and consultants charge in different parts of the industry, we have a really cool Free report with um, real hourly rates and packages of real coaches. And you can find that at ppr.me, ppr.me forward slash podcast.
0: Nice plug. Um, Thank you again for coming on the Remote Work Tribe podcast, boy.
1: Yes, thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to the Remote Work Drive podcast. Please visit our site, theremoteworkdrive.com to learn more about remote work trends and insights.